everyone, I'm Ben. I am the location pastor at the River Church Davison. Uh, thanks so much for checking out one of our messages today. Uh, we'd love to connect with you and your family. One easy way to do that is to text River Connect one word to 97000. Or you can visit our website at theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and our upcoming events. If you'd like to give to the River Church today, you can text the amount you want to give to 84321, or you can visit our website and click the Give tab at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the message today. And what an honor it is to be able to remember what Jesus has done for us, right? To be able to remember that our sins are gone because of what he did on the cross. It's just an honor to be able to do that together. And it just made me think, just before we dig in this morning, you know, what, what did Jesus do? I mean, why, why do we celebrate that? What did Jesus do? Well, you know what he did? He's our intercessor. An intercessor means he's the person that stands in the gap between who we are and who God is. And he stands in the gap there so that we can know God. And how do we know this? Well, in Romans chapter 8, verse 34, it says this, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. 1 John 2, 1, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. And then Hebrews 7, 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus went to the cross for us. He took the blow. He took the blow for us. But far be it from us to think that Jesus was a wimp. He was the greatest warrior of all time. He's a captain of captains, the Lord of hosts. He stood up to the effects of sin, the power of death, and he took them both by the throat and he defeated them at the cross for us. He took the blow for us and he gave it all. How can we do less when he gave his all for us? And what we're going to talk about today in the Sermon on the Mount is yet another tough thing. Jesus isn't pulling any punches. In fact, he's gaining steam in this Sermon on the Mount. And um, I mean, think about where we've been. Lusts, divorce, anger, oaths. Um, and we're going to, but again, we have to remember that at the beginning of this message, he talked about the Beatitudes. And so again, remember that foundation of the Beatitudes. This is the kind of a person that is a Jesus follower. But... Also earlier on, he called his people, he called his listeners to be more righteous than even the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. He said, you've got to be more righteous than they are. And so he has this dialogue again. You have heard what is said. And so he goes back and says what it's been saying and what the rabbis had said, the, the, the religious leaders had said, and they missed it. And so Jesus says, no, this is what it actually means because I wrote it. And he says, hey, this is the direction you actually go. And so I want to encourage us this morning that when we follow Jesus, we will go beyond what religion says. If you're following a religion and just doing religious practices this morning, maybe you're the person that has to understand that you don't need to be here to become a better version of yourself. You need to go to the one who will raise you from being dead in sin. See, being 
a religious person is all, all about bettering yourself. Following Jesus is about becoming like Jesus. There's a big difference between the two. A big difference. And today we're going to learn a little bit what it's like to be an intercessor. That's really, I believe, what Jesus is talking about here. What We learn more of what Jesus was like. And so how can we make a difference in the lives of people around us? Because we can seek to fill in those gaps and be an intercessor for other people no matter what. And I quote Pastor Eric Ludy, who, has, who preaches some very passionate, awesome messages about who Jesus is. He says, we live our lives not to save them, but to spend them for God's glory. We live our lives not to save them, but to spend them for the glory of God. So let's turn our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 42 is where we'll be today. Verses will be on the screen behind me, but if you don't have a version of the Bible on your phone, be sure to download the River Church app. You can see all of our events, all the stuff that's going on, and the version of the Bible is also in there as well. So that's uh, the River Church app. It's turquoise. You can get on Apple or Google. But Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 42, Jesus says this. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile... Go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So, what is Jesus saying here? I always remember when I was a little kid, I would look at this passage and say, all right, if I ever get punched, I can get punched once, but if you punch me twice, it's on, right? Because we turn the other cheek. I only have to turn the cheek once, right? I only have two. Wait a minute now. What did you guys just say? I was talking about these cheeks. I don't know where your brains went. All right. But the reality is, is we, we, can, we can think that way about this passage. That Okay, hold me back just for one. You hit me again, I'm coming at you. Because we want to defend ourselves, right? Jesus is saying so much more than just that here. The interesting thing is, is that this passage of Scripture is actually what is known as the Lex Talionis. It's literally translated as the law of retaliation. There was a law of retaliation that was even written in the Mishnah. Again, the Mishnah is a collection of rabbinical writings, of Jewish rabbinical writings that went through how you could get away with stuff. And the reality was, is it was something akin to that. Punch me once, got turned the cheek, but then after that, man, it goes at you. But the Lex Talionis is actually the eye for an eye part. And we know that because Jesus is also quoting three different passages of the Old Testament. We don't know which one, so I'm going to read all three of them to you. First one is in Exodus chapter 21, verses 23 to 25. It says this, But if there's harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. It's crazy. Leviticus 24, 19 to 20. If anyone injures his neighbor as he has done, it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. And then finally, in Deuteronomy 19, 21, your eye shall not pity. That's an interesting statement. Your eye shall not pity. 
It shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. So ultimately, the way it worked is if you accidentally cut off somebody's foot, guess what happens to you? You take somebody's cow, guess what happens to you? You lose a cow, right? Poke somebody's eye out, you lose an eye. Punch somebody so hard they lose a tooth, you get to have a tooth pulled. And let me tell you, over the last year, I've had two pulled. It's not fun. Yeah. The problem started coming up, though, is that somebody would get their tooth knocked out, and then the other person would pull a tooth, but it would be an already hurting tooth. And so now it wasn't equal anymore. And this sounds really, really brutal, but in reality, it actually reined in the retaliation that was happening. See, this is also part of an ancient law code called the Code of Hammurabi. It's a Babylonian uh, stone that was found years ago. And this Lex Talionis was written on it. And much like the Law of Moses, it was written. But it focuses a lot more on the stuff that was taken rather than putting, placing any worth on the people themselves. That's a big difference between other law codes and the law of God. And the reality is, we don't have to learn that retaliation, though, do we? That retaliation that goes way too far. All you have to do is hang out with a couple of two-year-olds. And one two-year-old steals the other two-year-old's truck, and I don't think so. They're throwing throwing haymakers over a truck, right? Nobody had to teach them that. Or they're biting. (laughs) Yeah. Some of you moms know exactly what that's like, right? You're like, yeah, amen. (laughs) Yeah. We don't have to teach our kids how to retaliate or be selfish, do we? It becomes, it's part of us. It's absolutely part of us. We resort to 10 times the punishment to inflict pain on those that inflict pain on us. Or at least that's our first inclination. And we would see that we see this in history. Tribes would trespass on another tribe's land, which led to a beating of one other person in that tribe, which led to murder. And that murder would lead to the other tribe performing genocide on the other tribe. It escalates and escalates and escalates. And we can see it in our world today. You simply have to look at Ukraine. Our world is fraught with retaliation. And I would say us in the church also are fraught with retaliation. Because when somebody says something to us on Facebook, oh, I'm getting wrong. Or they say something to us in person and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ding them on Facebook. I'm going to be all passive aggressive about it. Right? And we go at people because they've come at us. But even this Lex Talionis is, is really a fundamental part of our law today. When we think about it, the punishment must fit the crime. That's something we say a lot, and we see that a lot. Sometimes we think it doesn't, but that, that, that's the goal of our justice system even today in America and a lot of the world. But this, the, the way it was applied in Judaism and in a lot of places, it was not just equal retribution, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, foot for foot, whatever you want to say. It was required retribution. It was required retribution. That passage in Deuteronomy, there shall be no pity. 
Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But behind all of this in the Old Testament, there was a God, there still is a God, who told his people that you don't take vengeance out on others. In fact, he said, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And it was his and it is his. And so what God did in the Old Testament is he instituted this lex talionis, not for the common individual. It was instituted for the court to use and the court alone. But what the religious leaders of Jesus' day had done, they are now applying it to everyone. And in fact, again, a whole chapter in the Mishnah all about how it's okay to retaliate when somebody comes at you and putting rules on all of that. You killed my cow, I'm killing yours. You punched me and knocked out my tooth, I'm going to pull your tooth. You destroyed my phone, I'm going to destroy yours. Even if it was a mistake, even if it was a mistake, you could get your pound of flesh. It definitely made it more equal when it came to punishment, but it also made it required. And then here comes Jesus and he says, don't resist the one who is evil in verse 39. Matthew 5, 39, don't resist the one who is evil. Wait, what? Is this a blanket statement? Don't resist somebody as evil? I mean, we all heard the phrase. Evil people succeed when good people do nothing, right? But don't resist the one who is evil. What is Jesus saying here? Again, I can't stress this enough. My friends, when we look at God's word, we can just skim over these passions and say, oh, we're going to make it say whatever it wants. We've got to look at scripture so we know what Jesus is saying. We can't just gloss these things over. We want to dig in. And so what is he saying when he says, don't resist the one who is evil? Is he calling us to pacifism? Pure and complete pacifism? Like when evil raises up, just let them do what they want? Like take my kids, let the people die, stay back and let evil raise up? I will tell you, there have been people over the centuries that have actually done that and allowed the deaths of their children and done nothing to stop it. Some will look at what Jesus says here and saying he is doing just that, telling us that we should be pacifist, to be pacifist at all costs. In fact, Leo Tolstoy, a Russian novelist, wrote just this. He argued for no police force, no armies, no courts of law. Christ's way was to not resist evil. This is where we have to dig into God's word and have what's called a good hermeneutic in a good and consistent way of interpreting scripture. Because here's the thing. If that was what Jesus was saying, would Moses' mother have put him in the river Nile all the way back with Moses? She resisted. In order to come to that conclusion, you have to agree and be okay with the Bible contradicting contradicting itself, which it does not ever do. It just doesn't do that. You have to look at the totality of Scripture when you're looking at interpreting Scripture. It also can't be interpreted this way as a command to never use force because Romans chapter 13, Paul spends a whole chapter talking about how God has given the sword to the government to punish wrongdoers. That is the role of government, to maintain a society and to punish wrongdoers. That is what God set up in Romans chapter 13. So, and no power is given to the government other than that which is given by God. Some of us in the room need to hear that this morning. 
No power is given to anyone other than that which is given by God. So even if you disagree with your political opponent, this whole retaliation thing comes into play. And so that can't be what Jesus is saying here. So what is he saying? Well, he says it in the next four statements. He says, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And again, I used to interpret that and say, you punch me once, great. You punch me again, I'm coming at you. It's on. But Jesus isn't really referring to a punch here. In fact, he's referring to a very, very extreme insult. Most people in the world are right-handed. An overwhelming majority in the world, people in the world were right-handed, are right-handed. Same thing in Jesus' day. If you're going to slap somebody on the right cheek that's standing in front of you, how do you have to slap them? Backhanded. If I slap front-handed, it's their left cheek. If I'm right-handed, it's backhanded. And in Jesus' day and in so many cultures, when you backhand slap someone, you really don't like them. It's a deeper insult. In fact, in Jesus' day, it was actually telling the other person that they're worth nothing. It's telling them exactly what you think about them, who they are, and their mama. That is what you're saying. That is what you're saying when you do that. Complete disdain. And Jesus was, Jesus was possibly taking this a, bit, a step further and saying, it's an insult for your faith. And the thing about Jewish law is if this happened to you, you could actually seek retribution because of how deep the insult was. We have something like that in our culture today. It's called defamation of character, right? We can sue people for defamation of character. That's what this is. But Jesus says, hit me, baby, one more time. Jesus says, hit me again. You know, turn the other cheek. Don't seek the retribution that you feel you can take. Even that you're legally allowed and even expected to take. Don't do it. What's the outcome of something like that? Well, former Dallas police officer Amber Geiger was sentenced in October 2019 to serve 10 years in prison for the fatal killing of an innocent man, Botham Jean, whom she shot when she mistakenly entered his apartment, believing it was her own. The Dallas County jury reached a unanimous decision on the sentence just before 4 p.m. Central Standard Time after deliberating for just a little over an hour. Judge Tammy Kemp ordered Geiger and her attorneys to stand as she read the jury's decision on sentencing. The sentence appeared to initially disappoint the family of the, of the victim, Botham Jean, who had hoped for harsher punishment for Geiger. Several members of the family broke down in tears, shaking their heads as if in disbelief of the jury's decision. But Jean's 18-year-old brother, Brant Jean, took the witness stand and spoke to Geiger, saying, I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. I love you just like anyone else, and I'm not going to hope you rot and die. He said, I personally want the best for you. I wasn't going to say this in front of my family. I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you because I know that's exactly what Botham would have wanted for you. Give your life to Christ. I think giving your life to Christ is the best thing Botham would want for you. 
Brant Jean then asked Kemp if he could give Geiger a hug, and the request was granted by the judge. He stepped off the witness stand and met Geiger in front of the judge's bench and embraced as Geiger broke into tears. Moments later, Judge Kemp spoke to Geiger privately and also hugged her and appeared to give her words of hope. She also handed her a Bible. What's the outcome of something like that? Potentially a changed life. Yeah. Jesus then addresses those that might sue you for the shirt off your back, which in Jesus' day could be done if you owed somebody something. But here's the interesting thing. If they sued you for your tunic in one, this could even be suing and, and lying about it. But if they sued you for your tunic in one, that was kind of off limits. You could have the tunic during the day, but because the tunic was so important in Jesus' day, you had to give the tunics back at night. It's weird. Some of the weird laws I'm finding as I study this is just so weird. But then Jesus says what? He says, give him your tunic, even your cloak. Even your cloak that's so important for warmth and night, give that to him too. Why? Because we are called to point people to Jesus no matter the cost. Paul would say in Romans chapter 12, verses 17 to 21, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, leave peaceably, sorry, live peaceably with all. Stay on that verse for a second. If possible, so far as it depends on you. So does that mean you live at peace with people only if they've forgiven you? No. What if they never want to talk to you again? Do you treat them the same way? No. No. Who are we supposed to be? What did Jesus say? We are peace what? Peacemakers. Remember, got to go back to the Beatitudes on this. We are peacemakers. We are peace fighters. Even if somebody has slapped you backhanded, as much as it depends on you, In other words, check your attitude, check your words, check your gossip, check your, as much as it depends on you, you're going to live at peace with all. That applies to a lot, doesn't it? A lot. And now we're talking about these people that will sue you for your cloak. Let's go on to the next verse. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Which, by the way, I think God can do better at that than we can. Right? To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. See, I always focus on that part. I may give you some drink, but I hope there's hot coals on your head right now. Hmm. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do you overcome evil with evil? No. 
We overcome evil with good. We meet it with love and grace and mercy. Because you know what? What were we, what were we met with when we were evil? When we were dead in our sin? I gotta keep saying this. When we forget about the grace of God, that's when we think we deserve something. When we forget what we've been forgiven of, that's when we think we should hold grudges against others. Because when we were evil, when we were dead, what were we met with? Grace, mercy, and love at the foot of the cross. How can we offer people any less? Jesus didn't hang on to what, how I offended him, which is deeper than any offense we will ever experience on the earth. How can we do any less than meet people with the same? I'm not saying this is easy. I'm not saying it happens tomorrow. I'm not saying it's going to happen overnight and you're not going to struggle with it. That's why Jesus said this. Because he knew we'd struggle with it. See, this is the radical call of Jesus when we face persecution. When we get hit right in the grill. Then Jesus refers to forced labor. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. See, in Jesus' day, a Roman soldier could actually pull you aside and force you to carry his gear for one mile. That was the law. You've got to remember, the Romans were occupiers in this land. And Jesus is saying, if they ask you to carry their stuff for one mile, go with them two. Can you imagine how ticked off the average Jewish person would have been? Are you kidding me? I don't even want to carry it to one. We have two ways to do any task, right? We can complain about it the whole way or we can find beauty in what God is giving you to do. I hate shoveling the snow. It's terrible. Oh, it's so cold outside. Oh my goodness. Or we can take a moment and step back and go, wow, it's actually pretty. We have a choice. We can choose to complain all the time and just be upset. Or we can see the blessing in the middle of the struggle. There's going to be snow one way or another. You choose whether or not you're going to be joyful or not. Right? We choose it. There's go- you can't change if there's snow outside. Unless you're going to move and change jobs. That's the only choice you got. But the grass is not always greener on the other side. It just isn't. You go to Florida and now you have alligators. But you want to know something? Having an attitude of joy, even in the midst of struggle, is what brought people to Christ in the early church. I don't know what I think keeps people from Christ today. We look like the world in the church. We complain. We murmur. We don't serve well. That's not all of us, but maybe we need to be challenged by that to say, look, No, nobody deserves it. Neither did I. So I'm going to give it because God gave it to me. And finally, Jesus talks about those who are in need and come to you to borrow money. He says, give to those who beg from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. This is a tough one and and don't expect anything back. Come on, that's a step too far, right? Somebody borrows money from me, they need to pay it back. Jesus calls us away from tight-fisted penny-pinching and toward a life of generosity And we share with others in order to point people where? To Jesus. 
We share with people to point people to Jesus. Maybe we need to give a little more freely to the person that's on the corner. I mean, we need to be led by the Spirit in doing that. We want to be careful that we're not giving to somebody who's just going to go spinning on booze. But at the same point, is that my job or is that my job just to love people? I don't know. We've got to be led by the Spirit in that. And see, when we live this way, we show how Jesus has changed our lives. We don't desire to get even anymore. We, we let retaliation be left for the court. That's up to the court, but not retaliation for the people around us. And yes, even our enemies, which we're going to talk about next week. So we're talking about retaliation this week, and next week we're talking about loving our enemies. Don't let that keep you from coming back next week. And why do we do this? Again. Because we remember, we remember that when we were evil, when we were dead, what were we met with? Grace and love and mercy, boundless and free. See, Jesus didn't treat us fairly. We don't want God to treat us fairly. We want grace. So, We take the hit so others can know Jesus. Just like Jesus took the blow for us, we're never going to take a blow like he took. Well, we might. Some people have. People have been killed for their faith. But we take the hit so other people can know Jesus. We don't go get our pound of flesh because we want people to see him, not me. I want to end with another story. It's a little long, but I think it's just so, so pointed. It's, it's written by Jared McKenna. I'm going to try to summarize it as best I can. He's a son of, um, of a commentator um, that I read often. And he talks about how he was in, when he was 18 years old, he was at, he was at university studying fine, fine arts. And he was coming back on, his, on the train and reading about Martin Luther King Jr. For the first time, he got off of the station, walking over a bypass, he has ADD, and so he's like only looking at his, at his phone and he's dreamland steak, thinking about Dr. King's talk about nonviolent resistance, right? Um, specifically of Christians. And he didn't notice this big guy coming up at him in a dark track suit with his sleeves rolled up. He was still a little, uh, a little ways off, and he heard him grunt something loudly at him, Jared did, and he missed what he said. He was a little shocked to have his dream world interrupted. And then he definitely heard the word money. Thinking again, he thought, he thought, man, he was probably just asking for a few bucks for the train. So he pulled out his wallet and not the right move. Because what, he, what happened next, this guy lunged at him with his, finch, his fist clenched, reaching for something in his pocket. And he cried out, give me all your money. And so at that point, a number, a number of things are going through his mind, including some words that you might not say in front of your mom. And he began thinking about what he had heard from a guy named Walter Wink. He said, there's two options when you're in these situations. The split option, which is flight. He's like, the only thing about running was that I was wearing my backpack with all my art equipment in it. And if I ran, this would make my getaway at best a fast waddle. Not to mention it's huge. 
And so then the other one is the hit option. That's fight. But the guy's huge. He says, well, maybe I can get him one cheap shot. And then if he wants to have kids, he'll have to adopt. But more than likely, I'll take a shot at him. And then he's unaffected like a machine in a Terminator movie. And then he transformed me into a red puddle formerly known as Jared. So he's like, okay, I got to figure about that. He says, he's joking about it now. Nothing funny at the time. But if you've ever been mugged or threatened or threatened with violence, it's, it's a tough, tough thing. He said he had this crazy split second between this hit or split idea. He heard the words, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you. So when he heard those words, it just calmed him down. He felt grounded. He had already gotten out his wallet, so he reached in and gave him what gave the guy what he had. It's only ten bucks. He says, "I don't really know why, but right after I did that, I stuck my hand out and said, "Hi, I'm Jared." This guy with his mouth wide open, wide eyed, he puts his hand out and says, "James." And surprised and confused, he said, "No, Jared." And then he says, no, I'm James. And he's, they're like, oh, so they have this awkward pause. It's the weirdest thing that he probably experienced, he says. Then he noticed his arm. There was bruising all over it. Only interrupted by the scarring that indicated his arm was a pincushion. Indicating that he did drugs. The next thing that hit him when he was standing there was the stench of the man. He smelled really bad. And so all of a sudden, this guy James started talking to Jared, apologizing for why he was doing this, that he had met hard times and he's normally not doing this, but all these things were coming on him and he needs the money. And he was on this Naxaline program to try to get off of drugs. And then his mom kicked him out of the house again. And now he was back on the streets and Jared decides to ask him to come back to his house, eat and have a shower and get a change of clothes and he would find him a place to stay. Another awkward pause. Then all of a sudden, he hears his buddies back at the car yelling, go, go, we gotta go. At the time, they didn't know if they were being chased by security guards or whatever. And he started turning around to run and Jared screams out to him and says, hey, wait, James, before you go. He pulls out his backpack. He reached in, grabbed the New Testament, and handed it to him. And he says, it's got my name and number in it if you ever change your mind about a place to stay. For the first time, since he was staring at this big guy's fist, it got ugly again. James got right up in his face and started yelling, what do I want a Bible for? I'm going to hell. And Jared started explaining that, you know, James, all of us are going to hell. And we need to know who Jesus is. And he says, now I know that statement rates low on the theological wow scale. But it's what I said. What happened next, I think, was one of the weirdest experiences of my life. This big guy only, who only moments earlier was ready to beat me up, if not worse, just started crying. 
I'm not talking one tear, sad movie crying. He bursts out crying like a little kid does. Suddenly this man that was so visible in his anger, on his scarred arms and in his situation, this pain that was so visible, it seemed to burst like a floodgate at the news of God's love for him. And as this big guy stood there crying, I honestly didn't know what to do. In the same way that my response had put him off balance, James' tears now totally threw me. I just stood there while his head hung, his shoulders heaved as he wept. James didn't say anything more to me. He snorted to try to stop the snot and tears. And he grabbed the Bible and started running. After a few paces, he turned, looked me in the eye, waved the Bible at me, and nodded. And then he kept running. He says, I stood a long moment on the bridge, stunned. Then I picked up my bag, a bit dazed, and continued over the overpass. I neared the end of the bridge, and I saw his female accomplice jump into an already crowded, beaten-up, maroon, VK Holden Commodore sedan. This is British. As she got in, she yelled over the music to the others, I got a bag! James runs up, and as he got in the car, he yelled over the music, I, I got a Bible! When we choose the path of Jesus, we have no idea what he's going to do. The path of Jesus is often not the easy way. In fact, it's probably never the easy way. But it is the best way. It doesn't come naturally. It comes through the Holy Spirit. I would have chosen the flight, or the, actually, I probably would have chosen the hit one because I ain't running very fast. Let's see how it goes. But what if you choose that option that says it's about him? You know what, guys? It's time to lay down our arms. It's time to put down our fists. We're going into Thanksgiving right now, and Thanksgiving brings up things that aren't always usual for us. We have family members that come. Can I encourage you this week? It's time to put down what you've been holding on to. I know for some of us in this room, that's some deep pain. That's some deep hurt. But I can't tell you enough. Holding a grudge against someone is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Jesus says to love those around you. He says to go the extra mile. He says to give what you have. He says to turn the other cheek. Where does that need to be in your life today? We take the hit so others can know Jesus. Lay it down. And do it with him. You can't do it alone. Do it with Christ. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you are so pointed at the heart of our lives. That Jesus, what you tell us is so applicable. And you said it 2,000 years ago. And yet we still struggle with this today. We take up these hurts. We take up these pains. We, we hold on to our stuff and we fight and we complain and we grumble and we try to get a pound of flesh when we're hurt. God, I pray that we'd stop taking an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That you would give us your eyes for the people around us. 
God, we would truly love the people that have hurt us. That we would turn the other cheek. That we would give to those that need it. Lord, make us more like you. Help us to build our lives on the foundation of the cross. In Jesus' name.